This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the podcasting network for the people who pay me to podcast. My name is Mike Sazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, basketball season over. Um, West Virginia eliminated Thursday from the Big 12 tournament. And we had ourselves our first Saturday without a round or oblong football, even during an open week, I guess, since like August. How did you celebrate? Are, are we just going to skip right? We're just going to skip right past the most important thing that happened last week. Oh, um, Hit me that you replaced me mm-hmm. and everybody was happy about it. Like we're mm-hmm. just gonna we're just gonna skip over that. It's the Jackson effect. <laughs> far far too many positive reviews on that podcast for my liking. And yeah. I hate to say it happens. He uh, <laughs> I'll have to tell him this, but like <laughs> one of the things that one of the things that someone told me, I forget who it was, but it was like. I'm not a fan of all the stats and numbers, so I really like just hearing Justin talk. It's <laughs> like, wait a second. It's multiply uh, offensive, but okay, I get the point. So I don't know. Perhaps we'll come back. Uh, we had big plans about doing a CBI podcast from Daytona Beach. Um, that was pulled out from underneath this. And that turns out no NIT, which, again, I don't think any of this is much of a surprise. The fact that West Virginia came out and said, no, thank you, CBI, probably meant they weren't too interested in playing on the postseason. However, just true to form, it was very confusing. Coach says one thing. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. It's hard to get a straight answer on stuff. Um, it, it, there's there's just a whole bunch of what ifs and what have you's here about, oh, maybe they said no to the CBI because they have an NIT bid. Or how dare they say no to the you know CBI? Or do they really think they're going to play in the NIT? They're under 500. I don't know. And then I found myself just looking at, okay, who's going to steal bids? from West Virginia in the NIT. And I was like, what am I doing? And I was like, it's Saturday. I don't have anything going on. Granted, eight inches of snow on the ground, so there wasn't a whole lot I could do. But, like, just kind of backed away from the laptop for a little bit and decided to let it go Sunday. But, I don't know, did it did it hit you at all that there was a chance this might be a 16-17 and 17 team playing in the NIT? Or were you, were you thinking we were going to be putting this, this season to bed before too long? I, the fact that they told the CBI no, and combined with the fact that Huggins said, they were still going to play. I was like, wait, really going to, I mean, cause <clears throat> and you've talked about this before and, and I just, all I keep thinking about all these stories about how plugged in and connected Huggins is with all of these people for all of these events. Um, I mean, what was it two years ago where on a whim, just, Hey, we want to play Gonzaga. We'll do it. Boom. Done. Uh, hey, say so you've told the story in your three things the other day about somebody coming up to him saying you need to play in this event. Boom. Done. And that's just the connections he had. And so I just started putting two and two and two and two together here and was like, wow, this is really going to happen. West Virginia is going to be a sub-500 team playing in the NIT all because of the connections Bob Huggins has. Um, I did not believe it until 
I started thinking those things together. So, <clears throat> I mean, I, I watched the NIT selection show last night. I wasn't still wasn't expecting it, but I was like, well, I, I think I have to at least tune in here. I, I mean, I don't think West Virginia is going to be picked, but I mean, I know they're sub 500, but their their net rankings were better than some of the teams that were in the NIT. If you yeah. if you're into that kind of thing, so it wasn't completely absurd, is what I was getting to. I think UVA is going to be the one that maybe scratches people's temples here because they made it in their four or five spots below West Virginia, uh, five spots below. Over the six games over 500, they have four quad one wins. Um, in seven fewer games so west virginia was two and 16 in quad one games this year most games in the country but two wins is, is not very good so i don't know uh, there's there's probably not a whole lot of argument to be made here i know that 500 thing doesn't really matter again if you're if you're curious about the nit and selection process and all that they don't have to take teams with winning records they change before the 2017 event sub 500 since then they have not taken a sub 500 team. They've taken two 500 teams, um, Butler and Texas in 2019. So the fact that West Virginia was just one game under, maybe that wasn't a big disqualifier, but man, you look at the way they ended the season and, and some of their just other metrics. You're like, eh, I don't, I don't see it here. And then ultimately they didn't. And then the CBI field, Chris, there isn't a major conference team in the CBI. Possibly West Virginia knew that wasn't for them or it wouldn't be invited in. I don't know, man. That that could be the uh, you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing. Where we'll just turn down the CBI before we get ignored. Possibly. Who knows? But looking at it now, it's it's all mid-major teams. And, and you know, from, from Drake to Troy to UNC Greensboro, it's like teams that are not from power conferences. And How could you leave out Purdue-Fort Wayne? The powerhouse that is. <laughs> is U- it part P- of the UPFW? Or, and how do you... How do you What's their acronym? IPFW, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I guess it, it was probably, here's the weird thing. It was like an eagerness to see the season continue. I don't know. We're working too hard on this. But what kind of bummed me out was that people were like, no, no, just pat the shovel on top of this thing. Let's get it over with. And, man, I feel like if you're a Taz Sherman or a Gabe Osaboyan, even a Sean McNeil and you came back, or if you're just a guy who's on the team, like, if you have a chance to play more, I'm sure like basketball players are not like football players. Like they'll play the game. It's it's a little bit I don't want to say it's easier, but a little bit easier than playing a football game. Um, you can go out there, you can play a couple in a week, I suppose one a week. And they're not opting out of it. They want to play, and I'm sure if they went to one of these tournaments, they would think that they could win. Trouble is they weren't gonna get home games for this. I don't think they're gonna be a low seed and get an NIT home game. They're not gonna go to the CBI and get a home game because it's in Florida. So just a lot of the motivation isn't there. And and here it is. It's over. And I guess we can get to this now, too. Um, well, I just want to I want to put a pin in this. Is it odd at all that Huggins is like, we have more games to play. We want to play. I asked my players they want to play. And then one tournament gets wiped out completely. I don't want to say like palace intrigue, but like it's intriguing, isn't it? I, I want to say palace intrigue because okay. I mean, it, it, the way it played out publicly screams palace injury screams you know huggins wanted to keep playing and then somebody in a powerful position at west virginia in the athletic department said now that net zip done move on i wonder man like it's i know you probably have to pay 
to play in the CBI. I just don't know how that's different from the guaranteed rate bowl. I just don't, I don't know. Like if you're going to pack up your team and go play a Tuesday night, 1030 game out in, in Arizona, like what's, what's really the difference? Oh, one team was 500. One team was a game under 500. Um, one team played 12 games. One team played 33. Okay. I just don't know the difference there. And that's, that's, that's strange to me because it's not like you're doing this to like the NIT for volleyball or men's soccer. It's it's one of your two money-making sports. It's a Hall of Fame adjacent coach, a team that was good this year that has filled the Coliseum repeatedly. Just figure they're going to have a chance, unless they knew something we don't, or unless they have like major financial troubles. I don't believe that to be the case, but um, again, if that is the case, then that's a whole other conversation. It just seems strange to me. I'm sure there's an explanation there. I'm sure there's four explanations there that's going to require a whole bunch of conversation and questions and all that stuff, which, again, is kind of true to form for this whole season. But I don't know. That was that was the the one thing at the end is made me think, like, man, nothing's very easy around here, is it? Like, there's always a, a yeah, but with this. Like, yeah, we're going to play, but we're actually not going to play because that came out pretty quickly. And to be honest with you, Chris, like, I think I told you this before, I don't think West Virginia was ever really interested in playing in the CBI. This is going back to, like, the end of February when we first started talking about it. Just because the roster didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have three freshmen who are in major starting roles that are going to be the future of your 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 program here. Um, so the conversation is a little bit different. And I wonder if people who've been following the team around, because they have people who follow the team around, like administrators say, this is not going to be the same team next year. Quite likely, whether it's finances, whether it's roster construction, someone knows more than you and I do, which makes these next couple of weeks or months very interesting. Wait, who knows more than you and I? I don't want to say that. Because then that person's going to cross me in the hallway and know what I think. Oh, it's I'd bad. like to meet this person because I don't know many people who know more than you and I. Mm-hmm. You and me? Yeah. Me uh, you mean you? Yeah. Let me reach into my mail back here before <laughs> we reach into ours. Simplest explanation for, for what went wrong or what didn't go right or why we're having this conversation here today as opposed to, all right, let's talk about the, you know, 5-12 matchup that West Virginia is involved in on Thursday. Biggest things, one, almost a complete whiff on the transfer portal on, on new additions. Uh, two, elevated some guys that were maybe best as a second, third scoring option into starting option role. And three, I think, well, I mean, I, I got on it when I was talking about how, how did I get this season so wrong in my predictions, and those were two of them. The third one was the, the change in philosophy of this team. And I'm going to go back. I, I told you before we got on here that I'm going to go and, and look at the actual stats to make sure this. I feel like this is what happened, but I need, I want to go double-check. I feel like, you know, they switched to that four-out, taking threes, kind of pressure defense on the fly last year. And... It worked out well, and I I assumed that they would stick with that philosophy, take an entire season to kind of perfect it or at least improve upon it, and they didn't. They kind of just still went back to what wasn't working in the first half of last year, and um, and so I, I think there's a strange shift back in philosophy there and i'm going to go back and look at some of the numbers and, and see if that's true i felt like it was true it looked like it was true but sometimes you know your eyes can deceive you so yeah there's a, a saying in basketball that i'm familiar with is that someone's um elevator doesn't access the penthouse so to speak you know what i mean yeah. yep just can't just can't get high enough 
kind of what happened with this team. Um, think of all the people they try to put in the elevator to take to the penthouse. It could be transfers. It could be guys who were um, reserves who became starters, the guys who became secondary scorers that were intended to become starters, whatever. But they were supposed to access a higher floor. The elevator never got there. For by and large, there's a, there's an exception in Taz Sherman. He became an elite scorer. But if you look at you know McNeil as far as a complete all around player who could justify his playing time, didn't happen. Jalen Bridges didn't get there. Uh, Polycap, Kerrigan, Curry transfers didn't quite happen. Um, and they needed to have that. They needed to have those doors open, and those guys would run out and, and prove they were penthouse players, so to speak. And it never really happened. Yeah. To the questions now. Nope. Did I interrupt you there? No, no, no. Because okay. we're going to get to that. As I say, a couple of the early questions are very much related to what we've already been discussing. So, all right, let's skip through those. These are questions from subscribers. We'll answer as many of them as we can in the time constraints we placed on ourselves. Chris will scoop it up, whatever we don't get to, and cover that in a written form. Enough of me, Chris. Let's get to the questions. Uh, right off the bat, uh, postseason question Would you rather? Lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament or win the NIT from Layton? I'd rather lose in the first round. That means you've had a better season. Right. Never never an argument for me. One's, one's clearly better than the other. I, I was thinking the same thing. I, when I first saw the question, I was like, absolutely, I would rather lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament because in the grand scheme of things, there is, you know, it just, I think if you told a player – that if you asked a player that question, they would tell you losing the first round of the NCAA tournament. I think um, I do believe there are some benefits to winning your last game or finishing on a high note, which would happen if you, you know, won was it four games in a row to win the NIT. Um, I, I do think some of that can carry over, so give some guys an experience, especially if you have a younger team. But I don't know if that 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 little chance of that happening is better than, hey, made the NCAA tournament, and, and that means more. Um, so I would stick with losing the first round of the NCAA tournament. Just, it's such a cool experience. Just this is like when you have the pep fans and you have like you're playing team one and team two are playing, but the, the fans from team three and team four are picking sides and playing. Um, that the, the tip, it, it's, just, it's just totally different. Like it's, it's hard to say like I've never played in it, covered a bunch of them, both of them. Um, and like just the energy and the memories from the NCAA, even if it's brief, are, are much more. The press conferences, like just when you watch like these like 16 seeds or these 14 seeds and they're doing the press conferences and they're behind the table and they've got their mic and they're on TV and everything they're saying is being transcribed. Like that means a heck of a lot to the players. You don't get that in the NIT. Like just the the indistinguishable stuff that you might not recognize. Just reading this question and thinking about the, the actual play it's way bigger than that to the players because, like, they just the they go into their locker room, they have like catered meals and all this like body armor stuff they can drink and all that stuff. Like, just the things there, the, the luxuries, the accessories, it's it's w much more than the one game or, or five games, I think. And if you have a memory, hey, we played in the NIT and we won it, that's cool, I guess. But like, if you're a team that is supposed to be something or even a team that surprises people, just getting to the NCAA tournament's a big, big achievement. That, I think that lasts longer and it's worth more to players. Yeah, I, all that experience by the NCAA tournament, you get the, the hype, the build up, the yeah. extra TV time. Uh, you mentioned the, the team room, which is uh, mm -hmm. the holy grail of, of basketball. Um, I mean, it, you, you go into that room and it's just filled with all the food and drink you could possibly imagine. 
all the video games, a bunch of gear, uh, just anything you want in that one room, usually like in a conference hotel room or a hotel conference room, excuse me. And yeah, and then you got the NIT. What the first two, three games are going to be at home in front of half a crowd, third of a crowd, depending on where you're playing. Um, yeah, it might be cool to play in Madison Square Garden, but you still got to get to that point. So I'm with you. I think we just got to stick with the losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And these are all superficial points. I get that, but it's also kind of a superficial question too, right? Yeah. Like I, I just think of the the experiential stuff, the ancillary stuff. That's what players are going to cling to. And, and you're on TV too. Like you're playing a, a nationally televised game. Like no matter what, you're going to be on TV if you're in the NCAA tournament. NIT, a little bit harder. Um, I think they're all. I think they try to televise them all, but it's not the same as like two o'clock in the afternoon on, on that first Thursday. Here, speaking of uh, of. Uh... Questions I'm not sure we could ever answer, but it's just made for the podcast. Uh, from Mountie 06, 2012-13 WVU basketball team versus the 2021-22 WVU basketball team in a seven-game series. Who wins? <laughs> not us. <laughs> um, I, I just, I'm surprised this team wasn't very good. Like, there's, there's probably different reasons, but I just think that they. They they have older players, veteran players, and probably better players. That 2012-13 team did have some talent. I just don't think it was as talented or as tough or as as good as at something as this team is or might have been or whatever. I'm not sure. But if you're asking a series thing, I just think that they have enough answers for this team. But it, it, it's a really interesting question too because it's not it's not a no contest. It's not a sweep either. Wait. So which way are you going? This season's team would win. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. And for some of the same reasons you mentioned there, because that for those unfamiliar or can't remember what seasons start running together, uh, once you go back a little bit, but that 2012-13 team, it had Juwan Staten on it, but the young Juwan Staten, you know, first, I think that was the first year he was eligible to play. Doghouse Juwan Staten. Thanks for a game, Juwan Staten. Like, not very good. Uh, Aaron Harris and Terry Henderson, uh, true freshman. This was when they were playing some, playing not good, bad, a uh, lot of flaws. And then you're looking at, you know, Eric Murray spent half the year in the doghouse as well, getting suspended, getting whatever. Um, Jabari Hines was Jabari Hines. And you're relying on basically your most reliable player is Kalishla. He's the old guy at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a senior, and I mean, your your most reliable player is a guy that's going to average like nine points and six rebounds, something like that. You know, I just didn't. I think this this year's team, Taz Taz Sherman probably goes nuts on that team. Taz Sherman probably <laughs> scored like you know with Aaron Harris, a freshman Aaron Harris, freshman Terry Henderson, doghouse Juwan Staten, trying to guard him. I mean, I know Gary Brown's there, but that was even young Gary Brown, I think. And yep. and he wasn't even doing anything. So I think Taz Sherman ends up averaging like 28 points a game in this contest. And with Aaron Harris and Terry Henderson, you're like, hey, you got to stick on this Sean McNeil guy. Sean McNeil might drop 20 points a couple of times as well, just just sitting back training three. So, yeah, I think I would go like this year's team in five. I know you said not okay. a sweep, but I'm I'm – I'm leaning closer, leaning closer to sweep than I am a seven-game series here. I wonder what damage Kalitsa would do inside against 
the interior for this defense because he was not without skill and talent. He wasn't very consistent, right. um, but he certainly had some tools. Like there's no question about that. Uh, I'm not sure he ever got as high or as far as he wanted to go. And there's there's been debate about that, like how committed was he, so on and so forth. But man, when he was plugged in, he was he was a tough player, and he could do some things there, and, and did have good numbers that year, good enough numbers that year. But they were so perimeter oriented because of Harris and Henderson and Staten too. I think people forget how good Harris was in the second half of that season. Like from from the calendar flip on, I mean, strings of 13, 17, 19 point games, a couple 20 point games, but also he disappeared sometimes too. Two point, zero point, six point, something like that. Um, he would have gotten going against this team, though, I think. What a great driver, though. So that would be interesting. Who's going to get inside and make make baskets from one feet away, one foot away? I don't know. Probably stayed, but you're right. Like he was he was iffy that year too. That was also the great exodus year too, right? Because Hines, um, Harris and Henderson left the next year, but Hines left after that year, right? Aaron yeah. Brown, Keaton Miles, mm-hmm. uh, was Tommy McCune's on that team where he lasted one year? Yeah, I think he was gone already. Okay, so like that was a that that team had some chemistry issues. Murray was on that team, and then this is unfair because I he I enjoyed talking to him because he was a character. But like I think that one of the players who has burned Huggins on the transfer experience is Matt Humphrey. Yeah, who was on that team and was not good in the locker room by all accounts, and was not a good influence. Um, said something to an official at a Big 12 tournament game that was that still cracks me up <laughs> because he uh, Brett Hampton, I believe, was the official who gave him a technical foul, and he told Huggins, he said, hey, he called me blank. You can't do that. <laughs> and he was right. And also, like, he tried to convince me after the game that John Higgins was from West Virginia and that he should have been kinder to West Virginia, <laughs> which is great because, like, Higgins is, I'm pretty sure he's from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I mean, people put, put his phone number and his address online one time, so I'm pretty sure he's from Nebraska. But, like, that's how he was out there. He He was... Again, a character, but I think he kind of I think he's one of those cases that make, made Huggins for a while think twice about transfers because he was at two different schools before West Virginia. I right? was in a Boston College in Oregon. Mm-hmm. He, he was around uh, yeah. and the full list of players who left after that season. So after the season we're talking about, um, yeah, graduated. Oh, wait, wait, uh, uh, Voldemir Guerin was on that team, too, right? The bloody dotty. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and amazingly, he's not listed as one of the departures, but he also left after one year. But yeah, uh, Dominic Rut- Rutledge, Kalichla, and Matt Humphrey all technically graduated. Um, and then Eric Murray, Jabari Hines, Aaron Brown, Keaton Miles, and Vladi Guerin all left the program mm-hmm. with eligibility remaining. Wow. So that's four, seven, eight Big players time. gone from that team. Big turnover. Mm-hmm. Sign of things to come? Uh, Possibly, mm-hmm. coincidentally, you know. I don't think yeah. it's – you're going to have a number of people, like at least five we've been over, and it's probably ridiculous to think that there's not going to be more. Uh, Voldy Garen still plays, by the way, uh, Ukrainian, um, but he was making money overseas getting like, I don't know, eight and five a night shooting 40-something percent from the floor. But I think he went to Portland, right? Yep. That's where he went. Sport. Had okay, had okay numbers there, but he's in the. I know he's playing in a league, one of the super leagues over in Europe for a while too. Big guy, ran around, had some talent. Do you know Kalichla's still playing in Turkey too? Yes, I actually and, know people who know him really well. It seems like he has a good life going on over there. Yeah, I would say he's he's been. It looks like he's been with mostly the same team for the last few years, for the last five years, and and has a role 
uh, you know, playing 20 minutes a game. So still nice. making still making a living playing basketball. That's good. I'm trying to find his numbers in that that senior season. I, I want to say he was good, but I might be wrong. But anyways, continue on. Uh, senior season. Eight, well, he's better as a junior, 10.9 and 5.4. According to this, I hope I'm looking at the right thing, but 8.7 and 3.5 that senior season. Mm. Oh, he's uh, the center of attention. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, speaking of big stats, I, I'm going to ask this question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm laughing because this person asked about this, and you had sent me a private message that I'm going to make public, uh, maybe. No, I'm not going to make it public. I'm not, I'm not Justin Jackson. I'm not going to do that. Um, I I want to bring it up, though, from WVG13. Has WVU men's basketball had a player ever have the workout game? Zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, and zero turnovers in 20 minutes, and has it ever happened under Huggins? Um, you sent me a message about this, not about the player, but what prompted you was, I believe, the Sean McNeil game versus TCU a couple weeks ago, where he played 23 minutes, had zero points, zero rebounds, zero blocks, zero steals, but three assists uh, in 23 minutes. Um, do you remember a couple of the other names on the list that you sent me that that had similar type of games? It's all in that DM, right? Uh, you mentioned one or two other players in that DM, and those are the two main culprits here because I think they were the two that played the most minutes with full zeros. Because I, I, I have a full list of the players for West Virginia who have gone zero 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 zero. Um, I, I don't think I put zero turnovers, but zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks in at least fifteen minutes. At and least I have a list minutes. seven. I, I, I dropped at the fifteen because okay. I think if you put twenty, technically J.D. Collins against Rutgers in two thousand four pops up, but I think it was like he played nineteen minutes and. 40 seconds or something so which is amazing because he was uh, like a valuable player yeah um, and like i don't know how he didn't do something because he rebounded he played defense he had assists he didn't score a whole lot or very well but like he was always involved with something so i, I remember seeing that one i know the one name um because i covered the game and i remember it very well the most recent one was harler correct Carler versus Texas Tech, January second, yeah. two thousand nineteen, and they lost but, the game by like three. I think he played nineteen minutes, but like invisible. Yeah. Um, yep. The other ones, oh boy, I want to say that if I remember correctly, I don't. I'm not even sure that JD was the only player who had a zero that, that year. I want to say that, like, oh man, I was on. The, I know I saw you, them. There the was one on that year. There was one on that year. You got that. All right, so it was a road game and non-conference play because I was. They were. They flew commercial and I was with them on the no no they were in i know i saw them in the hotel and it was in charleston i guess i don't know but it was definitely that year and i want to say it was pat beeline yeah it was beeline versus saint bon adventure oh, zeros across zeros across the board in 15 minutes yeah okay i remember that um he wasn't a starter back then i don't believe yeah that was in charleston wasn't it uh neutral site game for sure charleston yeah civic center and i remember like like fisher had his big coming out game that day um like three alley oops and like five or six block shots. Um, boy, beyond that, I couldn't tell you. Um, so here's what, what, here's the list. You re- oh, you got one? You got another guess? Chase Connor? Nope. Why do I remember Chase Connor? Why did I even say him? All right, there's got to be someone of that ilk. All um, right, so you know. Chase Harler was 2019. I already went over him. The time before that, <clears throat> Paul Williamson at Notre uh, Dame in 2012 played 15 minutes. 
zero across the board. Blowout late, blow late right? Yeah. Um, before that, Wellington Smith at Purdue, January 2010. Yeah, their final four year. And they had a really good big that year, too, who oh, I can't even go back. Because that was Robbie Hummel was on that team, right? Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, who's a um, oh, Moore, yeah. you know, uh, NBA player for a yep. long time. Still. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Before Wellington Smith was the B-line and J.D. Collins in 2004. And then we go all the way back to 1994. And I'm going to screw this name up. I, I even did when I was a kid. Uh, Ninad Germusa. Is that oh, right? Jeez. Wow. <laughs> um, zeros across the board in a four-point loss at Duquesne. And then Dale Blaney in 1982. Zeros across the board in a double overtime win over Ohio State. Man, that's so a there list. you go. Uh, yeah, seven players have gone zeros across the board in 15 or more minutes. West Virginia is not surprisingly two and five in those games. I mean, when you have when you have a player that is literally adding nothing to the to the equation for a game, you're playing four on five. You're going to end up losing those games more often than not. It's really hard to do, like to not get a rebound or, or a steal or, or an assist or something. Like it's it's got to be difficult if you're playing that much on a good team. Like I can understand like a John Paul Williamson, but even that's ridiculous because like he's got to be out there getting his right. Yeah. Like, hey, just go out there. You're on the floor against Notre Dame. We're we're just trying to get in the bus, right? Just go throw some shots up, grab a rebound. Like someone's going to run around like crazy and do something. But no, uh, that's that's got to be hard to do. Uh, by I, uh, the way, Pat Elon was 0 for 3 in that game. Fisher, uh, eh, maybe not that good. Six points. Oh, yeah, no, seven block shots. That was also the Mike Gainsey revenge game because oh. he came oh, from Bonaventure. Bonaventure. Yeah. Came from Bonaventure, and they, um, he was – I don't know how hacked off he was, but remember there was a whole big coaching scandal there, mm-hmm. and he was not cleared for immediate eligibility his first year despite the the reasons he left. Um, I don't know if they didn't cooperate or what, but 14 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, five steals, and – you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be really good. I have a very relevant and re- very recent um, story to go with this. Mm. Over spring break, I took my son to an NBA game in New Orleans. And that game included Tony Snell, who is infamous for <laughs> 30, 30 minutes of, of playing time and zero, you know, he's done it a couple times of zeros across the board in 30 minutes of action. On Wednesday night, we're sitting right there, and I tell you, seeing this in person is, is almost amazing. Like at the same in the same game, I believe CJ McCollum had 30 points, but I kind of didn't even recognize that he was getting 30 points because I was so just in awe of Tony Snell doing nothing. Like he 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 played 31 minutes in this game. Zero points, one rebound, and I. When I tell you that the ball bounced directly to him, I mean it came off the rim so hard that it almost hit him in the face. <laughs> he had to catch it. Uh, zero assists, zero blocks, yeah, like just nothing. 31 minutes, 0 for four shooting, nothing. Just and, for you. Just standing there. He just because I was right by the corner, and he just stands there. Just. Doesn't do anything at all. It's it's kind of amazing to watch. It, it, I, it, I'm with you. It's, it feels impossible to do because you feel like at least once a ball is going to accidentally bounce to you, or at least once you're going to pass the ball on a rotation and someone's going to say, "Screw it, I'm shooting and score," and you're going to get an assist. Mm-hmm. It is very hard to go zeros. 
man, I'm just thinking about that. Like the, how it's got to be aggravating too, because you got to be like, at some point, you're like nine minutes in going, I got to do something, right? Unless you're like, you know what? I'm not doing anything. And I'm not sure any of those guys is the, you know what? I'm doing, not doing anything, guys. Maybe Tony Snell is, but like those names you mentioned, Pat, JD, um, Chase, again, Williamson, I don't know much about as a player, but I'm assuming a walk on gets in. He's going to want to do something. How does that happen? That's crazy. That yeah, the, the, J, the JD Collins one is the most like stunning one to me. I mean, it, what he averaged 3.9 points for his career. I'm looking at right now, but I felt like he was always grabbing a rebound or two, a couple assists. Like he's just he's one of those guys that did a little bit of something every game, and to yeah. just have zeros was kind of shocking. Good defender, kind of a, an out of his, his out of his circle rebounder. He played the bottom of that one three one, so he's going side to side, but steals rebounds. Something's going to happen down there. Long rebounds were his thing. Um, that surprises me. Maybe I'll see him one day and ask him. Hey, remember that game where you did nothing? What's that like? <laughs> that, that you're going to have to maybe get a little more uh, nuance in your question there, Mike. Maybe I'll track down John Paul, Pat, JD Chase. We'll have a roundtable. Let's be good. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, man. Um, you want to switch to football for a minute? Yeah, let's go. Okay. About time, right? Yeah. I think it's we're going to be making a full shift here. I mean, I think basketball is going to stay in the discussion for at least a little while because I saw a note from – it's one of our guys, so now I feel bad not remembering who it was. Was it Tra- Travis? Uh, one of our yeah. national basketball guys. It was like 200-some players are currently in the transfer portal for basketball. But in the by the end of the week leading up to the NCAA tournament, so the, once the reg- the season ends for most of the teams, uh, that number jumped up to over, over 400. So essentially – the transfer portal for basketball could double in the next week or two. Um, yeah, that could be not just, and I'm not just implying West Virginia players leaving via the transfer portal, but also guys that West Virginia will recruit who are entering the transfer portal. So it could be a couple busy weeks here for basketball still, but but we're maybe a week away. I mean, I haven't got a schedule of you. It starts on the 22nd. That's all I know. Okay. I'm assuming in the afternoon because they're in spring football or spring semester right now. So, um, although all these videos they put online seem like they're from the morning, right? Yeah, I have uh, no idea. Well, they do. I, I don't know when the practices are, but I, I do know in athletics they like try to get guys to sign up for classes that are, say, for instance, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, leaving open Tuesdays and Thursdays, or stack their classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, particularly in the afternoon, so that you can have workouts monday wednesday friday or do stuff in the morning i mean it gets more difficult as you get older because you know the the 400 300 400 level classes are a little more strict on when they are and what you have to take but there is some massaging of of class schedules to make sure it fits around workouts so still a lot of online stuff and and here's one i want to tell you I, i told you i talked to people at the the luncheon the other day right Actually, I had face-to-face conversations. A nugget I got that makes no sense, but is 
also has no relevancy to this conversation, but it is kind of funny. There are there there are people who are taking an online class for public speaking. <laughs> That's how virtual we've gotten, Chris. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so this is how this is how you talk in front of a crowd. Yes. <laughs> At Please, home in your room. Sir, you're on mute. <laughs> Hey, that's how you and I got so good at this, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, all right, let's get a couple a couple of football ones in here from Luke Zoolander 01. Will Graham Harrell be in charge of offense uh, substitution slash rotation during games, or will it be Neil or the position coaches? I, I think we already know the answer to this because I don't think that's going to change. I feel like it's pretty common everywhere, right? I would assume it goes to assistant coaches, but like, it may be Harold's parameters, like, listen, we're going to get this guy in the third series or, or something like that. Um, I'm not just saying that because of a Gary Green thing, but like, hey, if they want to rotate guys in, let's let's get – we want to play eight receivers. Let's make sure we get all eight in the field in the first three series, right? Yeah. Something like that would be the, the deal. But And when it comes to, like, man, my running back looks gassed, well, the running back's coach is going to be on top of that. And a lot of right. times players check themselves out too. Um, sometimes they need to be checked out. But I would be surprised if Harold is calling the plays – um, checking his script, evaluating the result of every snap, checking out the defense, listening to his headset about who's on the field for the personnel for the other team, and then also saying, yeah, my tight end needs to come out right now too. Now, that's, I would imagine that goes to the assistant coaches. Yeah, it's almost strictly, I feel like, uh, position coaches for these for these kind of things. And you're right. I mean, Chad Scott's out there. He knows which running backs he wants in. He makes those decisions. And, yeah, any any input would be – uh, like you said, kind of just, hey, let's try to get this guy some reps at, at some point. Let's try to get these guys in at some point. Hey, I'm running this package right now, so I need three receivers, and one of them's got to be this guy or something like that. But it's mostly position coaches and always has been and probably always will be. Except, I mean, the only tweak to that is for those assistant coaches who are up in the box, you know, their trusted GA will make those decisions. Like, for instance, because Parker was in the box and uh, uh, Marshall would handle a lot of those substitutions at that time for wide receivers last year. So, um, yeah, mostly position coaches. Uh, also, Luke Zoolander 01. In Graham Harrell's offense, how much has he in the past used tight ends or running backs in the passing game? Other than O'Laughlin, which tight end do you think is most ready to be part of the passing game? Mike, you got any thoughts on this? I know you've been doing a lot of um, stuff on his offense. Yeah, you know, sometimes we've talked about this Y position, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the the Tavon. Remember the, the year he became very good, they moved him to, I think they called it the Y here, I'm not sure, but same idea. We were close to the ball. And you're a quick read or you're going to come across the quarterback's eyes or you're the guy that is there for like a blitz or whatever that, but that position is just fundamental to what they want to do. But sometimes looking at depth charts at North Texas and USC, like a tight end played that spot, which makes me think that like, not that that player is going to be the feature in the offense, but that's how important that position is that listen, the best thing we can do our best packages involve a tight end not as a receiver. It just means he's going to be a good blocker because of the running game or he gives him some versatility in there too. So, yeah, there there has been function with the tight end. There has not been a prolific pass catcher. They had some guys at USC because that's what USC can do. They can get some guys who can play there, but they also had really good receivers and running backs too. So to to project that West Virginia has someone who's going to go out and catch like 40 passes at the tight end spot, I don't I don't see that 
based on the past of these players here or Harrell. Um, I just kind of think that they have enough receivers they can spread it around, but also don't think they have so many receivers that you're going to see like 10 personnel, right? You're going to see a lot of like, I don't know, maybe two tight ends, but certainly one tight end in the field a bunch. Um, we'll see how good they feel about their offensive line if they can keep a tight end off the field. But by and large, they've used like an H-back tight end, whatever you want to call it, to help their running game. Put him, you know, off the line in the backfield, not next to the quarterback in the backfield, but, you know, behind the tackle, in motion, things like that. It's it's not going to look too much different from Neil Brown stuff. I'm glad you went with the tight end and the Y receiver stuff first because that, that's what I was thinking. And, and not so much looking back at Harold's past um, and, and his experience and what he's been doing. I know that that because that you had that coverage uh, covered, but and I know we can't always trust what recruits say, but that's what a lot of recruits have been telling me as well. Not just coming from the guys getting new offers, but even the guys that are coming in in a couple months, like C.J. Donaldson. They told me that their new spot, the new, this new tight end position that they are being recruited for, is not so much this six foot five, six foot six you know, 260 pound kind of guy. It is a wide receiver. That's what Donaldson referred to himself as. That's what a couple other new offers for the next class have referred to themselves as is, is not tight ends, but wide receivers is where West Virginia is recruiting them. So to your point, I think it's important that they're trying to get those kind of athletes that can do everything that can block, that can make plays with the ball in their hand. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the Tavon Austin type. It can be more of the well, I guess he was this big, but Trayvon Wesco type, just versatile athletes that can do different things. And and, and so, yeah, I think you're, you're right on with that wide receiver spot. Uh, Donaldson intrigues me. Like, like that's the one guy in the class that he's not the, the four star or the top player in the state or whatever, but just something about him and the plan they have for him. I'm going to be paying attention to for, for that reason, because he, he, he could play defense probably capably. Right. Yeah. But they see something about him on offense that makes them think he's going to be an asset that they can, they can use to give themselves leverage or to, to leverage against the defense. And that'll be fun to watch. Probably not this year, but they can get the idea going and then slide him in next year. And that could be fun. That could be like a new wave of the offense and, and something that they do that's different. You got a couple of questions about JT Daniels. Uh, for those unfamiliar, yeah. former five-star recruit went to UG uh, Georgia and back on the transfer market, but not leaving school until May. Uh, visited Oregon State recently. I reported that he is planning to visit West Virginia in early April. Uh, at this time, there's no plan for him to make a decision before that because he's not leaving until May. But, that, you know, obviously prompted some questions. Uh, with three quarterbacks already on the roster, all that stuff. Uh, I thought this was an interesting one. I'm going to give it a, a, a slight tweak of a question from WV ball fan. Um, he asked minimum wins. Neil Brown needs to keep his job with one of the three quarterbacks we have verse. If we get Daniels, I think it's an interesting question. Does, do, does the expectation, do the expectations change for Neil Brown for this WVU football team, at least as far as his job security goes, I guess with let's just say Garrett green is quarterback or JT Daniels at quarterback. All right, so on March 14, 2022, I'll say that I I do not think that Brown's job is in danger next year, barring like a two and ten season. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me get the video recorder ready. 
we're going to make a clip out of this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I do not believe that Neil Brown's job is in jeopardy in the 2022 season unless they do something ridiculous, like go 2-10. and 10. If they get blanked in Big 12 play, then then you've got an uh-oh moment you've got to fix because you can't go on. I don't, but I just don't see that. I don't see like a, a, a five and seven Brown getting canned. I just don't because he and the administration bought some time by one, extending the defensive staff two getting Graham Harrell and three, just saying we have a problem we have to fix. And if it took three years to identify and then address the problem, I don't know that you could repair it in one year or expect to repair it in one year. It's gotta be progress. Now, is five and seven progress? Is six and seven progress? Is seven and six even progress? You could argue no, but I just don't think it's going to happen. So I think the answer to that question is, is N.A. in that I think you would argue getting a player like Daniels in suggests you should be more successful. It's not that easy, but I understand that that would be the implication. Whereas you might buy yourself additional time. If you start one of your young quarterbacks, you kind of have um, a, a bit of a runway to work with where, in theory, hey, we'll get there, but it's going to take some time. So you have some leeway this season. So there is there is that sliding scale. I understand that. I don't think either one is going to influence anything beyond like a 2-10 and ten season, like I said, that would get Brown fired. <clears throat> I'm with you because, well... Hmm. 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 Disagree. I do think if you bring in Daniels, is uh, no, I I don't disagree with uh, your stance that regardless of quarterback, uh, I think he's his job security is fine outside of the two and ten that you mentioned. But I do think expectations need to be higher. If Daniels comes in, I do expect the team to be better. I do expect if you're if you're making that move, if you're making that move, one, you're saying that the quarterbacks that you personally recruited are not the best option for the team. Okay, this isn't this isn't the situation you know before where they brought in Kendall, they brought in Daggy because the previous staffs. Recruits were good. Now you're saying that your own recruits aren't the guys you want leading this team. And you're bringing in Daniels. So to me, there is this, I'm trying to fix my own mistake kind of thing instead of not mistake. These guys, kids aren't mistakes. I mean, they're freaking freshmen. But um, I think once you get to that point, again, this all goes back to my stance of it's year four. Now there's no more previous staff stuff this is all yours this is your team and so if you're bringing these guys in you're you're trying to solve the roster issues that you have not yet solved and bringing in daniels gives it either one or both of trying to fix roster issues you have not yet solved in year four and or two slash b this team's good enough to win now. The rest of the team is good enough to win now, and the answer is quarterback. The the thing that needs fixed is quarterback. Now, yeah, Daniels to technically played two years. I think he's two two. He's got two years of eligibility left because of the COVID year. But that you bring in a guy like that, you know what that means. That means you're going to lose at least one, maybe two of your young quarterbacks, 
and he better be the answer because then he's going to be gone after a year, maybe two, and then you're back searching for a quarterback again. So, yes, I think you bring him in. Yes, I think it raises expectations. No, I do not think Neil Brown's job is in trouble after the season, barring a 2-10 and 10 collapse. Now, here's the counter to your counter to my counter. Okay. What if what if they just made the wrong calculation? Like, what if they do indeed bring in Daniels and and he's a a fifteen touchdown, twelve interception guy who completes fifty five percent of his passes and struggles in his first year on a new campus with let's be frank, not the weapons he had at Georgia and at USC. And USC is maybe a bit of an argument because they were not lighting the world on fire and, and he barely played there. Um, but if it's the wrong calculation and you lose Nico Marchio. That would be the big one, I think. Or you lose Green and Crowder, right? Yeah. But let's just say that you you made the wrong play. You brought this guy in. Some sort of alienation occurred. Um, and you went five and seven. And the offense wasn't better. And maybe this didn't work out. I think you can I think you can have the meeting and talk about, okay, do we gotta call this donor? <laughs> like do we have to cause now you're not just Cannon Brown, but you're going to have to buy out Harold's two years on his contract. You're going to have to buy out your defensive staff. It, it, it becomes tricky there. But if, again, if you, if the process is fixing it and the first thing you do is to screw it up and make a problem that was bad, not better, but perhaps worse or harder to get yourself out of, because now you have maybe one year of Daniels coming up. You know, he does have two years, but who, who knows if he stays? And then if he does stay, is it better? Maybe. But you also are going to be thinner at quarterback because you've lost recruits. What if Daniels is just a one-year guy and one or two guys transfer? Now you're stuck. Now you got a really bad situation in appearances, in practice, but also in replacing the quarterbacks, too, which is what you have a position of strength right now. You've got three. You figure you're going to hit one of them. Um, even if you have to use two or three of them, you're going to hit one of them. And if you go out and get a fourth one, you increase your chances for success even more. But if you can't play those numbers properly and you screw it up and things are not better, and it's going to be harder to get better based on the things that is talked about with turnover that, that would seem inevitable. That might be a situation where you say, listen, how many times are we going to press reset here? Let's with, with who we have, let's press reset and get new ideas, new minds, new eyeballs in here. That's, that's a possibility. I would, I would say that's the counter to the counter to the counter. And then a way, a way out of this, that isn't two and 10. Yikes. There's a lot of counters. I, I'm, I'm crossed up here. Um, I'm with you. I mean, it's it's the most important position on the field. And again, year four, and then in this scenario that you're talking about here, going into year five, and you made the wrong decision again. It's yeah, you're right. It's a huge it's a, what if. I know. Yeah, there's a lot of this has to happen. This has to happen. Then this has to happen for us to talk about this hypothetical situation. But yeah, that would be that would be. Yeah, worst case scenario is Daniels comes in, one to two players. So I would say two might leave, quarterbacks might leave, and then Daniels isn't good. Then you are in, you might be in shambles. Like you might be heading towards that two and ten season anyway. Like that would that would be bad. That's it. You're not you're not ignoring Daniels' phone call no. because it might go bad. Right. Nope. 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 I also want to know it's a slam dunk. I know a lot of people think that he's connected here. They, him and Harold, Harold did not recruit him. Nope. Um, and he played 
one game for Harrell. 34 passes. Got hurt. Mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. Was gone by the end of the season, too. So I know they know each other, and I'm sure they get along and probably have good memories, but um, it's not... I don't know. I mean, there was no relationship between Greer and Holgerson. That worked out pretty well, too. But just this this automatic assumption that, well, he was at USC. He's obviously going to come here. I don't know about that. And then I've I've just heard Oklahoma State as, like, a, a dark horse, too. That's one to keep an eye on there. Oh, boy. I'm going to buzzkill, Mike. Your boy, Spencer Sanders, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything else in here you wanted to touch on on, on the pod? Because, again, I'll, I'll answer the rest in the mailbag. But anything else in here you desperately wanted to discuss right now? Any players? There was one question about surprise in the spring or, or freshman that you expect. But I don't want to get into a whole either or there. But people you've heard about? Okay, yeah. There's Wolfie4250. We'll, we'll keep it. Because the surprise thing, if it if it's a surprise, then I'm not going to guess it. So oh. uh, Wolfie4250. Which true freshman outside outside of Nico and special teams players, which true freshman do you see making an impact on offense and defense this fall? Go for it. You go first. Well, I liked your CJ Donaldson thing. And okay. here's why. One, because he's a freak athlete that could do a lot of things. You could find different ways to get him the ball. Two, your current tight end room. I talked about it being as full as I can remember it. There are a lot of different bodies in there. Um, but your main, your most experienced option is Michael Laughlin, who has had two season-ending injuries, is going to miss the entire spring. Unclear how good he'll be when he gets back. You know, Is he back to 100%, 100% or is he going to be a little more limited? The other option is Brian Valendi, who is, by all accounts, very good at blocking, um, was rarely used in the passing game at Colorado State. So if you're taking this angle of a, hey, we need a guy that can do some things offensively, that can catch a ball, that can run, that can do some of that stuff, he might be a guy that I would watch because I think he's got a lot of um, versatility and they can find ways to do that. And, and I think while that room is is building a lot of those guys that I see in there are more of the Palendi types than they are the, you know, versatile athlete types like like Donaldson is. So I could see him coming in and making an impact. And my other pick on the other side of the ball, Christian Stokes. Uh, I touch base with people, um, coaches, not just at WVU, just to try to get a feel about our rankings. You know, hey, hey, who do you think we have too high? Who do you think we have too low? And then most of the time it's, eh, you know, I'm, I wouldn't tweak anybody more than whatever, you know, a spot or two. It's no, you know, nothing big. Christian Stokes came up repeatedly, not just, you know, this is again, coaches outside of West Virginia too. Repeatedly that Christian Stokes was a guy that, that we at 24 seven sports had ranked too low. And he is one of the highest ranked recruits in the class. Okay, he is 8809, which is what, uh, third, fourth behind Spells, Lathan, and Marchio. Um, So he's already considered one of the best players in this class. I'm told by people who know a lot more than me that he's better than that. And you know which position West Virginia is in dire need 
of talent and bodies, Mike. Tell me, Chris. Safety. Yeah. All the safety spots, all the safety players, and he's enrolling early. Christian Stokes would be my number one pick out of this class to make an impact. Yeah, I like him a lot. Everything I've read about him and the stuff I've seen from from other people talking about him at other sites, like it's kind of an interesting thing to see, as you're familiar with Chris, when a guy doesn't sign with your team, well, he stinks. Yeah. Not the feeling on spells. And people wanted him. I'm like, man, that would have been a good one to have. Not most spells. I'm sorry. Stokes. Um, boy, that would have been a good one to have. Well, we could have used him. So that's the fact that people are like upset that they didn't get him. That's that's interesting to me. Um, I think spells for me would be the interesting one just because I think you're going to play him. Like that would be a, a curious one. But what do you think of Lathan? Because linebackers on a spot where they're blessed. I think he's going to play special teams. They're going to need people there because that's another one. They need positional depth. And is he good enough to play right away or is he not a linebacker? And maybe he's, is he a spear? Like what, what does the future hold for him? Do you think? Yeah, I, I do think he's more of a true linebacker. Okay. I'm not sure he's got the speed to play spear. Um, but coming in impact right away. I mean, you're, you're right. There's not a whole lot of depth there, I, but I do think basically at, well, cause they said they moved. Um, oh man, I'm blanking now. Uh, to Mike linebacker, Jacory Hammett. Thank you. Um, so maybe that spot's a little more open. I mean, I know Lee Koba's going to be there, but I feel like at Bandit, you got you, you feel good about it. What you got there with Carr? I mean, Carr started the last three, maybe four games of the season. Jared Bartlett has obviously been a a major piece of that rotation of that spot for the last couple years. And then over at Will, you have Dixon and Lowe. Um, Lowe's going to miss the spring, but Dixon and Lowe were splitting times as starting uh, as starters. They were splitting the reps pretty evenly throughout the season. So I, I kind of get this sense of Will is set, Bandit might be set, and your Mike, you basically have Lee Koba. So I, I, do, I just don't see year one openings for Lathan in, when I look at it that way. I mean, he's good enough. But it's a lot of experience there. I do think he'll play, though. It's a Miami kid. Then if you redshirt him, oh, right. uh, yeah. that'll be tough there, too. And then offense is such a grab bag because they I just they don't have a lot of immediate. Like, it's a lot of offensive linemen who that probably is not going to happen for them. We disqualified Mark Yeo, obviously. Jarrell Williams, I don't know. It's good he's here in the spring. But the fact that they brought in the two junior college guys to be here in the summer makes me think that his impact will be diminished. That'll be a tough one, I think. But to to to. I guess veer a little bit off course here. Um, other players that we would keep our eye on in the spring, the two names that I hear for some of their workouts are Justin Johnson and Jalen Anderson, mm. which is a really good sign because uh, Mathis, incumbent, when he was healthy and practicing a lot, was productive. Lynn J. Dixon, we'll see, but the pedigree is there. In, in small doses, the performances are there. Pretty prolific player, probably the best home run guy. But evidently, Anderson's been very good. Um, he has some talent. If you if you look at everything he did, I mean, the guy played linebacker, cornerback, receiver, running back. He caught a lot of passes. He scored a lot. Played very well at a very high level. And and Justin Johnson is kind of like your fourth guy. But when when he was given chances last year, especially toward the bowl game, I think he kind of he intrigued coaches a little bit. And I know he didn't do a whole lot in the bowl game, but the way that they talked about his bowl experience is promising, but those are two young guys that just don't get a lot of conversation. Anderson arrived late, some academic slash eligibility stuff, hindered his enrollment, wasn't eligible for the bowl game. For him to be talked about right now, um, 
like he can't possibly to be too far from the doghouse if you're not eligible for the bowl game. And here we are in March, and you're like, this guy is a player. That's something to keep an eye on there, too, for sure. And then, again, Justin Johnson didn't do a whole lot, but something about the way he looked, the way he practiced, the way he played in the bowl leading up to the bowl makes them think that there, there's something there, too. They're not going to use four, but they're going to have four guys that they can probably try to get reps in the spring and try to get something out of them this season. Very interested to see how that goes because no matter who the quarterback is, even if it's Daniels or someone who comes in, I, I think that you could really manage your offense running the ball and ideally a lead back and a backup, maybe three, not four, but hard to screw it up if you got four guys you like. And you, you might have just answered one of the questions that I was going to have to answer, so thank you. Uh, the Jalen Anderson thing, he, he got in late, very late, uh, uh, as you mentioned, wasn't eligible, but he was practicing with the scout team, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I that's what I was going to say when I answered it in written form, but if we're already discussing, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Just wanted to make sure, yeah, he, he was practicing with the team. He was with scout team. He was going through the workouts, through the regular practices after he got there. I mean, obviously, he gets there late and then has to do the uh, acclimation period. So as the season's already underway, he's having to go through a couple practices with no pads, that kind of stuff. So obviously way behind. I think the expectation was he's redshirting right from the get. Um, but, yeah, he was working out, was practicing with the team. Yeah, I'm not sure scout team or whatever because they had this all broken up into, like, developmental squads. Yeah. Right? But he might have been one of those Monday night guys. But I know that he was in whatever graces exist, I guess, when you're when you're in that situation. But he was he was in a spot where he was getting handoffs and getting reps. And it doesn't matter now. Like, whatever he's doing now, like, they, they're pretty happy with that, too. So to see him on the field in the spring will be good news. <clears throat> well, I think that, talent there. Yeah. I was going to say, you got a couple really good running backs with, with Johnson and Anderson there for – that got varying degrees of just a little bit of little bit of experience and and this could be that that second year kind of bump for them all right well i took one question off the plate for you that's good yeah thanks making Less my work. life easier uh, uh a couple more that i don't want to get to because i want to leave them in there but i would i would definitely recommend checking out the written part because i'm looking at a handful more that are pretty interesting and are probably better to to think about and talk about once you've written about them that's right as only you can do. Which will be tomorrow morning? Yeah, tomorrow morning. Um, I'll have that up. Maybe tomorrow afternoon because I got I got a, a loaded recruiting buzz. Uh, caught up with a couple more visitors that I didn't catch up with before vacation. A couple more new offers. A couple more guys coming in for visits in the next couple weeks. Um, so that, that'll be going up in the morning. And also taking a look at what West Virginia does the year after a bad season. Uh, I think we can call this a bad season, yes? Okay. No postseason, so that doesn't happen very often. Right. Um, but I'll have that up. Um, what other stuff we got coming up? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, if you're listening to this and it's still Monday, this is your last chance to hop on the 50% off VIP. Uh, ends at midnight. Um, you know, we run these things a few times a year, this 50% off deal. And this is one of those times you want to hop on, cover you for uh, an entire calendar year, which would be all the signing days, all the football season, all the basketball season all spring football, all summer recruiting camps, all the transfer seasons, everything you can imagine. So hop on it now while you still can. It's up on the site. Uh, it, it'll automatically do it when you go to the sign-up page. So it's, it's there for you. Paramount Plus? Uh, not till they're done with the promo period, Mike. Still get it, though. 
still get it. Yeah. But got to get through the promo period. This is the one that bothers me. Like, this is like, I kind of got offended. Like, wait a minute. 50% off this story. I just ruined it. Are you kidding? <laughs> what? I'm going to put yeah, yeah. 50% of the effort. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to talk about that when we start looking at how many stories we put up. Because we did that one time, you and I. And because it was like two on, cents. <laughs> yeah. On, on average, we put up six to seven stories a day for 30 some days. So we're talking 200 to 250 stories a month. At fifty percent off, we're talking like two to three cents. Sorry, it's right. it's, it's we gotta, not it's not encouraging. We're we're literally working overtime right now. I can't do this anymore. I'm pulling my hair out. This is bad. Uh, but yeah, fifty percent off. It's it's not bad. And again, once you're through your your promo, that that Paramount Plus is really nice. Like it's got a yeah. bunch of movies and series on it, like original stuff too. That that's worth it too. So um, why not? Right. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.